Welcome to the Dr. Raj podcast with Dr. Raj Dasgupta, a show all about educating patients, students, and aspiring doctors about better patient care. Dr. Raj is a quadruple board certified physician and associate professor at the University of Southern California. He was a co-host of the TNT series, Chasing the Cure with Ann Curry, as well as a regular on the TV show, The Doctors. And now, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to the Dr. Raj Show. And like I say almost, you know, every two weeks is that this is not a show only about for doctors. This is a show for, for you, for everyone. And it's about health and wellness. It's about being yourself. And it's about all the things that affect us. And I think that one thing that I've been very passionate about, you know, is going to be about the health of just with all the big changes that are happening in medicine and going through this pandemic, you know, I think suicide awareness is something that, you know, is a very, it's awkward sometimes to talk about. It's awkward for me to even mention it during the podcast, but I think it needs to be discussed. And, you know, when I was thinking about how to approach this, that, you know, I'm actually very, very close to my family. And one of my family members, you know, has a story I felt needs to be shared on so many levels. And I'm actually going to bring her on the show today. And this is actually, I'm not just saying this, this is one of my favorite cousins in the whole world. And this is going to be Jamie Fabroa. And I'll introduce her in a second. But no, I want to give her, give you guys a little bit on the background. So don't get me wrong, this show is still going to be fun and entertaining and educational and all those things. But I think it's, it's good to uh, hit topics that Many people don't want to talk about in the podcast, but it's very important. So I'm going to talk about Jamie right now, okay? So, you know, uh, just four days before Jamie's 25th birthday, you know, she would lose her father to suicide. Uh, from that moment, Jamie's life would never be the same. The pain became unbearable, and it was unlivable. Uh, when after a few attempts to take her own life, she courageously found solace, serenity, strength, and forgiveness in her own healing through supporting others. And I think that's very, very, very important why I want her to be here because it's one thing to look after yourself and it's another thing to care about others. Because uh, she actually possesses training and certification in something called Safe Talk and Assist. So we're gonna talk to Jamie about these things because I don't know what they are. And Jamie is, a, is relentless, Stan, uh, on disappearing the stigma around, I like this, the S word. And I think, you know, just the way I introduced myself, I seemed a little hesitant because it's weird to just say, hey, today we're talking about the S word, suicide. And I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I know I did. So with that being said, Jamie, my favorite cousin, thank <laughs> you how are you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you for having me on and for the lovely words. I appreciate it. Well, you know, um, you deserve them. And, you know, before we start tackling in some of the major things that are going on, especially, and I told you in our pre-interview that suicide is something that I've been, you know, hearing a lot about for medical students who are preparing to take these life-changing exams to hopefully be on the right track. I've heard it for residents during residency. And, you know, Right now, during COVID-19, many of these frontline workers in the emergency department in the medical ICU where I work, you know, it's something that crossed their mind that they think about, you know, and there's so many horrible feelings from the 
that standpoint that I really wanted someone in the trenches like you to, uh, to talk about it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's not a surprise and, um, whatever stressors that may be for anyone, um, those are your stressors and whether they are minuscule to others or minuscule to someone who's not even in that position, it can magnify a lot tenfold. And, uh, the, quote unquote, dark side of suicide comes up to light and sometimes people don't want to talk about it or share about it, just like you explained about the S word or saying the word suicide, we all become very hesitant. And when it comes, for example, like you said, a profession of high intensity studying and schooling, like becoming a doctor um, and thinking, well, maybe it's bad that I have these thoughts. Maybe it's bad or I shouldn't share that maybe I have suicidal thoughts or even just COVID, right? Um, so that in and of itself is why I share about creating a conversation around the S word because um, the minute you speak of it, the minute you share that those thoughts, they don't have to be real. They could just become thoughts that you share. Um, And I think that that's really important when it comes to any high stress, right? Um, The act of sharing it, it's bravery. It's, It's being very vulnerable and brave about what you're feeling and then letting it go and being able to share and, uh, that's it. That's all it could be, right? <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I'm very enamored just listening to you because obviously I always think of you as my little cousin, but I mean, just the way you describe things, I mean, I'm impressed. So I, I did, I don't want to change the tone too much, but I wanted to get my, or get to know each other through our conversation. Some of the funny things that uh, me and you have in common or we experienced in our lives before we go into, you know, getting it, get being very serious again. So before I forget, Congratulations on the wedding. Thank you. Thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so if for those who uh, don't know, me, uh, Dr. Raj, I'm, I'm half Indian, half Filipino. So beautiful, beautiful Jamie is my Filipino side of the family. So I'm going to ask her, uh, you know, uh, a couple of Filipino questions. How's mm-hmm. that? Would that be yeah. fair? Okay. So, you know, uh, growing up, I didn't get a chance to hang out with you too much during your high school time. Now, there is a Filipino tradition that many uh, Filipino women get. I don't know if you had one. I've always wanted to ask you. <laughs> so, when you were 16, did you have something called a debut? Well, and can you I explain mean, what a debut is to, to my listeners? So, when you are, it's not actually 16, it's when you're 18, in fact. And okay, it was, <laughs> sorry. That's okay, you're not, you're not a female and you're not 16, so you wouldn't really know, right? Okay. <laughs> but, um, it, was, it derived from the um, Latin mm-hmm. descent, and mm-hmm. it's when a woman turns 18, she becomes a woman. And then okay. she is... Um, celebrated into society with a huge party, kind of like a mini wedding for her. Okay. And it's like, um, she's all in nice, beautiful gowns. And there are what's called a cotillion, which people dance for her and she dances and it's an organized (laughs) dance routine and, and there's tons of food. Um, 
And to answer the question, yeah. I did not have one. I did have oh. a 60th birthday. Okay. And my, fit, my immediate family didn't want to make a big deal of it because I didn't want to make a big deal of it, but they wanted okay. to celebrate being 16. Um, so that was <laughs> it. But early on, I expressed that I didn't even know about it until one of uh, – Someone in high school had one, and I'm like, what the heck is that? And I had to really <laughs> dig into what is going on, and, and I was like, I don't even know if I want one of those. And my parents were just like, no one in our family really does that. Okay. So, um, but they're yeah. a good time. They're fun. <laughs> you know, I, I remember you were a pretty good dancer. You were very social <laughs> at parties. I'm like, well, maybe she had one, but I just didn't know her back then, you know, and so I wanted to ask. Um, and on that note, you know, I got to know, what is your favorite Filipino food? Ooh. Okay, so for those of you who know Filipino cooking, mm -hmm. all of it is so good. And <laughs> what's hard about that is you keep eating it and keep eating it. <laughs> and... When you go to Filipino parties, there is a plethora of food. Even if there is only four people you are feeding, there's trays and trays and trays upon food. And I'm guilty of it too. I cook like that. So okay. uh, my husband and I will be at the dinner table and there's like four or five trays of food. And that's what I'm used to. So um, to answer the question of my favorite, I can't pick one, but the first thing that comes to mind uh, is lumpia. No, explain and to the listeners, what, what, what is lumpia? I was just going to say, lumpia, <laughs> you know, or don't know, it is a spring roll, but inside it's meat. They're very tasty. Um, yeah. <laughs> so tasty. And what's, when I speak of it being, uh, Filipino food being something that you keep eating, these are like little two, three bite spring rolls and you pop them in your mouth constantly. <laughs> throughout the dinner before the dinner after the dinner so you could have it warm cold hot like it's it's fantastic <laughs> <laughs> good answer no good answer now one of my you know one of my favorite memories of you was that um we when i used to come visit you in toronto you would bring me to a steakhouse and i forgot the name <laughs> of the steakhouse i was gonna give you i was gonna it's like it wasn't like a fancy schmancy look at us as high rollers. We didn't have a lot of money growing up. So you brought me to the steakhouse. You get these huge steaks. And what I remember about you being there is that you would request a very specific drink with your steak. And it, it almost made me barf because I would never just think of that as the combination of eating, you know, raw meat. And what you drink was a, a chocolate milk. <laughs> so... Jay, can you just explain to my listeners, why do you like steak and chocolate milk? Where did that come from? You're maybe the only person that does that. Okay. Okay. I, I clearly remember this, and I remember your reaction. And it's similar to the one that you have right now. Um, for those of you who obviously can't see, he was in utter disgust. Um, so I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna pre, I'm going to set... Uh, the tone of exactly how that day was, okay? <laughs> so, uh, Raj comes to Toronto. He's at the airport. He came straight from the hospital in his scrubs. <laughs> I'm messaging him, telling him, we're going to pick you up, and we're going to have some steaks, so I hope you're hungry. And he says to me, 
I'm going to go to the hotel first and change because I'm in scrubs. I probably have like some blood on me or something <laughs> on me and I don't want to show up to a steakhouse like that. You know, I'm sure it's this fancy place knowing you. And I said, no, you could go in your scrubs. Not a problem. He's like, what kind of steakhouse are you taking me to? <laughs> so I'm like, don't worry about it. It's, it's really good. Just trust me. So we pick him up. Sure enough, he's in his scrubs and take him to the steakhouse, which is 10 minutes away from the airport. This place is a trucker mecca. That's what this is. It's a trucker mecca. So you see all these uh, truckers that are there in their flannels and their hats <laughs> and came out from a cigarette from a long <laughs> ride and are starving. So he's looking at me like, what are you, are you serious? I said, like, yeah, this is the place. It tastes good. It doesn't matter what it looks like. And uh, he's like, okay, okay, I trust you. Um, just get me what you get. I said, okay, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I get a 16-ounce Delmonico, and I love to eat. I'm very small, but I love to eat. And I get that with fries and gravy, salad, veggies, and I ask for chocolate milk. And right away, he looks at me. Raj is like, you're going to get a heart attack. What's wrong with you? You're going to wash it all down with chocolate milk? How can you even finish that steak? And sure enough, I'm like, just get it. Just order it. He's like, I don't know about the chocolate milk, Jamie, but like, I'll, I'll happily watch you drink it. <laughs> so I think he got some, some water or something. And I was just like, just try it after. But I don't know what it is. I think it's... <laughs> Because I have this nice good meal and it's hearty and it's 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 like you know diners and drives like an episode from Guy Fieri or something like that <laughs> and it was like the ultimate thing to do was chug it down with ice cold chocolate milk and it just it tastes good I don't know <laughs> you're, you're you're forever in my mind for that you know but <laughs> it, 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 this one this is my favorite question you know this is one of my favorite ones going to ask you so. Um, Jamie's favorite music artist of all time, like, I mean, she knows where I'm going to go with this, is Michael Jackson. And there's no question that. And, you know, <laughs> God bless Michael Jackson. I, I mean, I'm sure I've, I, I bought Thriller when I was young and a couple of others. But, you know, so I had my wedding with my beautiful wife. And, of course, I invited my entire family. They were so nice to come. But we had our we had in our background what we kind of wanted for dancing because we have a multicultural family. There's Indians and Persians and Filipinos and all my friends and family. So, anyways, I, I made a little um, a little talk with the DJ to say, you know what? During the wedding, I guarantee you that Jamie's going to come up to you and demand <laughs> that you put on some kind of like you know Michael Jackson song, but you're going to stick to the playlist because I'm paying you a lot of money. You stick to the playlist. And he started laughing, like, no one's going to ask. I'm like, just trust me. And lo and behold, during the wedding, during the happiest day of my life, uh, Jamie goes up to the DJ like, hey, can you play? I forgot what song it was, you know. And the, the DJ is like, I'm sorry. And she's like, what? What do you mean you can't play this song? And got a little upset about it. <laughs> so um, I, just, I just have to tell you, I love that story. And, and that DJ was really, I mean, was really terrified that he had to stick with his guns. He didn't play it. But um, what, um, is Michael Jackson still your favorite? Is that still one of your favorite artists? And what's your favorite song that he, uh, that he sings? So 
Michael Jackson is 100% my favorite and that will never change. Um, there always is a part of me that always has to listen to him, whether it's, um, you know, or the start of my day or towards the end or something about Michael, something about that. Um, you know, I think it's just, um, there's no favorite song. Okay. There's, there's not, it's like, it's like every song is my favorite song. And, um, I just don't get tired of it. And I think a lot of people who love him could share that too. It's timeless songs, tom timeless beats, timeless, you know, you could play it anywhere in the world and someone will know exactly who that is, right? And you don't That's even true. have to speak the same language and, and you just know, right? Um, and I don't know if you know this, but I will mm -hmm. share with you that mm -hmm. I was in uh, San Francisco and I had gone to um, a memorabilia place. And I had walked in there and there was uh, Michael Jackson memorabilia everywhere. And I was like floored. I thought this was the best place ever. Um, and funny enough, I had a red jacket on and a fedora. Mm -hmm. So the guy that was working there pulled me aside and he goes, I know exactly what you're looking for. And I thought, oh, my God, it didn't give it away, the hat and the jacket. And he pulled me over to this signed Thriller album. And I was oh. on the floor in tears because it was beautiful. Like, I mean, um, mind you, this was shortly after he died. And I had yeah. tickets to London for his concert. And I oh could go. Yeah. So I was just like, this is amazing. I have to have this. Yeah. Um, he was showing me pictures that he met Michael Jackson and Michael Jackson used to shop there. And I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. And then, uh, he told me the price. I'm not going to share it cause it was astronomical <laughs> at the time. And then I said to myself, you know, Jamie, I, like, you have to have this thing. Like you, you had your, the tickets for this concert in your hand and you couldn't go. And it was one of the biggest dreams of your life. So you have to have this album. And uh, I was just about to walk out the door because I was like, you know, I just monetarily wise, it doesn't make sense. And mm. he was playing Michael Jackson for me up on the speakers. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's making it worse, this guy. And then I um, went back towards him and I made him an offer. Yeah. And I said, I could give you like $100 out of my pocket right now. And yeah. whatever, however many during uh, the months until I paid off and he shook my hand and he's like, you got it because I would rather give it to you and give you that deal instead of somebody else who just walks in here and points at what they want and says what they want. I can tell you're a fan and I could tell his music and everything about him touched you. So you should have it. So Aww. I have a fine thriller album. Like it's just unbelievable. It's one of my most prized possessions. I also have a Prince thr uh, album. Oh, really? Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to like change the tone a little bit because, you know, I want people to, understand, to hear your story and why I invited you here to talk about suicide and everything. So, you know, when we talked about your dad, my uncle, who I just love dearly, I was reading your the story behind it. And, you know, I think one of the things was, you know, when you think about your dad, that um, I love that it started off saying that, 
he was um, he was your best friend, and you were like daddy's girl, and you guys had a lot in common. And you know, earlier on, he was having you know just a lot of pain, you know, based upon I don't know if people know this, obviously they don't, that he had rheumatoid arthritis, correct? Yep. Mm -hmm. And and he had it pretty bad in the beginning, and you know, to the point where I almost started tearing up. That you know, he just you know had trouble. Carrying you when you were a when you were a kid is 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 that true? Is that how bad the pain was? So, from what I know of my father, I always recall him being in in and out of hospitals due mm -hmm. to his pain. So a lot of that reflected in him being wheelchairs, having crutches at a young age, being a young father. Yeah, and um. He even had arthritis in his eyes. Like, oh I remember these things. And, and as a kid, I didn't know what that was, obviously. I, all I knew was just associated arthritis, pain, my father. That was what I saw. And um, when we were younger, my sister and I, my sister is six years younger than I, um, it was always hard for him to keep up. Uh, he loved playing basketball, loved, you know, being athletic, but couldn't physically be athletic. So it was hard to do small things like, um, you know, he couldn't lay on the floor on his knees for whatever reason to try and fix the car or look under the car, something. So it was really hard for him in that way. So debilitating, really. Now, and how was your, and how was your mom around this time growing up? Did, did she, you know, did she understand what RA was? Did, I mean, I like what you said, which is for my listeners, you know, rheumatoid arthritis is not just a disease of the joints. It affects every single part of the body. And you're right. It can affect the eyes. It can affect things you don't even realize, heart and lungs, you know. Yeah. Did your mom just kind of uh, say, hey, it's, 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 it's from this arthritis? Did she understand all the things that he was going through? Was he misunderstood, um, you know, during that time? Um. I would say that my mother was very good at, um, how do you call it, getting, getting into action of you're stronger than this. So if you're stronger than this, I know there's a lot of physical pain, but we'll get through this. Like um, she never was, you know, my poor husband. It wasn't ever mm -hmm. like that. She was more of a, of a strength within the family and my father, where it was like, I'll watch out for him and uh, just make sure that if he needs to stay in bed and it's painful that he stays in bed and that I carry on and do whatever I need to do. Uh, so in many regards, it was like survival mode for my mom. Like there wasn't any option other than I need to do what I need to do in order to get our family together. Um, it was and around that and around that time, Jamie, I'm a, this is even like still in high school questions. Did you even have an inkling that this could happen to your dad, uncle Wilmer at that time that, Hey, he's suffering. Having bad RA is horrible, but did you even cross your mind that it was what he was going through? Or is this something that didn't manifest back then? It was a non-issue. So when um, I never thought my dad would die by suicide and 
I say that before I say anything else, because just like many of other suicide survivors, we never think the person that has died by suicide would take their own life, no matter what they've gone through. So because of all the pain my father had been through, I didn't associate that he was going to take his life. I just thought, okay, he's just in a lot of pain. I don't know what kind of pain that is, but he's doing what he needs to do and he's taking the kind of medicine he needs to take and trying different medications, so on and so forth. Um, different kinds of therapy, physical therapy. But there was an instance when I was younger that now I could reflect back that was a sign. Now, uh, during that whole time, I didn't know of any signs of suicide. To me, my honest thought of suicide was, that's a dumb thing to do. And I say that in all honesty, because a lot of people may not be um, forthcoming on on admitting that, right? So I would even have conversations with my father about others I've heard that died by suicide that I thought was ridiculous. So my father being my best friend, I I was naturally able to talk about that with him. But little did I know that very much hindered how my father was feeling because if he did even have any thoughts of that, he wasn't able to tell me. I never thought about that. That's really interesting because he may have had him. We don't know. And, you know, he loves you and you think of him as you should, your role model, your everything. Then he keeps it inside. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about that. So, you know, I wanted to, and I want to, I want everybody to hear this. You know what made me really proud of you and no one ever gets to talk about this is that, you know, after high school, as I read your bio, I did my homework. You know, one of the reasons why you didn't proceed to go to college right away was because you wanted to work to help both your parents out because, you know, they were in a lot of pain, they were suffering. Money isn't easy to come by, no matter where you are and who you are. And I thought that, you know, people didn't get to know that about you. And I think that that was really jumped out at me because I'm sure people listening to this podcast know certain relatives and friends who are very judgmental. And sometimes you don't get to hear the story, but I wanted to mention this. I put a note of it in my, my notes and I'm very proud of you that you, Thank you know, you went to work right away and that's great, Jamie. You have a, you have a big heart, you know? Oh, I appreciate that. I think, <laughs> so, uh-huh. I think I just wanted to touch on that. Like there are a long time and a big part of me didn't want to share that because I, I felt as if, um, Maybe that would look bad upon my parents. Maybe that would um, make it seem that I am just hiding uh, behind the fact I don't want to go to school or or nonsense. Um, But it was something that I know that is part of my story and that I wouldn't have it any other way because it made me realize that although I was contributing monetarily wise to my father and his illness, I was working just as hard as someone in school because I was trying to level up and get where I needed to go with a good paycheck uh, without the education. So it just, it made me more of a um, go-getter in many senses because I ended up working for reputable companies like I was a technician for IBM. And for anyone that knows anyone that works in IBM, that's a hard place to try to get into. And I was just grinding and grinding and grinding so I could get to that place. So I thank you for acknowledging me about that because for a long time it felt like 
it was something that I had to cowardly hide. Right. Um, but you know, I don't have to have under that, that under my belt to know I'm a good person or a smart person or, and I understand that now. So thanks. <laughs> You're super welcome. And I think this is where I'm looking at your timeline. You know, this is what shocks me because, you know, around that time I did see you and your dad for a little bit. It was after he had a hip replacement. And when I, the last time I actually was with him, once again, I thought he was doing really good. You know, and he told me that his pain was much better. You know what I mean? And, you know, I just wanted your opinion where, you know, it sounded like earlier in the story when he was really suffering, whether it be through pain, monetary, everything, being younger in life, having a beautiful daughter, two daughters, you know, that's where it seemed it would be more prone to, to think about suicide versus when you're finally in the right place. So yeah. what, what happened after the hip replacement? Did I miss something? I mean, what was going on after that? Well, um, after the hip replacement, everyone would say the same, just as you did. We all thought it was better because he was, um, he lost a significant amount of weight because a lot of the pills that he was on prior to that made him gain weight and feel self-conscious about himself, losing hair, so on and so forth. And then when it got to the point where he got his hip replacement, he tried a, uh, another uh, drug that I think was administrated um, by injections, and that was working for him. He shared that it was working. Now, to what degree, we're not too sure because what happened after that was he was doing things like going to family reunions. He was going traveling with my mom, and uh, it looked... I guess, shiny and brand new, right? I guess that's the way to say it because he looked like a changed new person. Now, one of the things that we wouldn't be suspectful of at all is someone that wants to take their life. Now, one thing I want to mention is when you have a suicidal thought, no matter how early on in your life, you will always be prone to having them. And I say this because your first thought of it, you got there for whatever reason. And that could subside and later on you continue your life and then you may hit a hard spot again or a hard time in your life and those thoughts come up again because you've already fabricated that in your mind that that's a place to go to. And like I said in the beginning, it's only about you sharing that will allow that thought to be a thought and not an action. Um, staying quiet about it most likely becomes an action. And I wanted to address too when um, some of the signs my father was showing, and now I say signs, quote unquote, I didn't know they were signs in the beginning, but I could see them now. And one of them was when I was younger, around 10 years old, um, my father would lay in my bed with me and ask me to tell my mom to leave him. And I'm looking at my father like a 10-year-old, right? Like, why would my mom and dad split up? Why would my dad ask my mom to split up with him? And, you know, he would be crying because he would be in pain. And he would tell me that he doesn't feel like he's man enough to take care of us. And as a 10-year-old, I'm thinking, what the heck are you talking about? Right. You're taking care of us already. but. 
that was already a sign that I as a 10 year old had no idea. So one of those signs is giving away or trying to get rid of valued possessions. And that was what my father was trying to do in, and behind all of that was I'm having suicidal thoughts. I'm wanting yeah. to leave or I want my mom, like he wants my mother to leave him so that he could have it easier to leave. And I obviously as a 10 year old, I'm not going to run and tell my mom that no. I'm not going to run and tell anybody that because to me, it's just my father's in pain. My dad told me something that didn't make sense and he's okay. He's there tomorrow. And you know, there were little hints of little stories like that going forward that I didn't really understand until it came crystal clear after he died and how wow. he died. Outside. So that's why now I, I'm able to um, distinguish those things now and discern really what was going on back then. Um, you know, and I, I find that uh, he was very much in the sense of mind that, I'm a man, I should be taking care of my household. And because I physically can't, and I can't provide them with the, um, the kind of lifestyle they deserve because my health prevents me from getting a decent career, um, that it's better off that I'm not here. So I think that that stigma of how a man should be, quote unquote, was something that was in the back of his mind, 100%. You know? Um, well, let me interject and give a little medical tip because, you know, mm -hmm. many wonderful medical students and residents are living or uh, listening to this. So things that I picked up on, you know, the hair loss that you're talking about, I mean, yep. people are wondering what was he taking? I'm going to assume it's something called methotrexate. I mean, this is a very common rheumatoid arthritis drug that has many side effects and many benefits. You know, when you talk about the hip replacement, there's something called prednisone, steroids, and they have a lot of benefit, but they have a lot of side effects, you know, and they make you gain weight. It makes you not have the, the body you want in so many things. And um, the reason why I know about the injection you're talking about, um, you know, I feel so lucky that, you know, my wife, Michelle, who mm -hmm. ironically is a rheumatologist, got to meet your dad once, once, and that's when um, he just started a medication called Humira at Alinumab. And it was a groundbreaking drug for many diseases, such as rheumatoid arthritis, ankylosing spondylitis. And, you know, the fact that he mentioned to my wife that it was a game changer. I mean, I, I, that's where I thought he was great. And he got to take it. He got, it made him get off these horrible steroids. And he was losing weight. So, I mean, just kind of piecing together a little bit of what was, you know, at the time he was going through. So I wanted to ask you, and I think that I definitely want to spend some time uh, with the broader questions to help people out in general for suicide. But I want to ask you this, um, you know, two things. One will be four days before your 25th birthday is when I was reading your story. And I always like kind of tear up a little bit. He kind of, uh, he, he said goodbye to you in the morning because he had to go to work. And he mm -hmm. really wasn't supposed to go to work, but he went to work. So my question to you is twofold. One is um is there in retrospect you ever think about anything you would have said differently you know to him did you really have an odd inkling about what was going on and last can you also address the cliche that everyone leaves a suicide note 
at least in movies they do. In movies, they definitely leave a suicide note. But I was reading your story, he didn't. So for those of you uh, listening and um, what Raj is speaking of when he speaks of my story, um, when my father had woken up Thanksgiving of 2010, he had um, told everyone that he was going to work. And this was about eight in the morning. And I sprung out of bed and heard the rustling of him leaving. And I said, where are you going? It's Thanksgiving. And he said, um, you know, I got called in. I was on call. Um, so I'm going in. And I said, um, but it's a holiday. That doesn't make sense. And he said, well, it's overtime. So don't worry. It's more money. And right there from the moment I woke up, like I, I sprung up and we were um, cooking the night before with family over. So it's like, I, I never really would have sprung up, but my gut, my intuition, my everything was making me get up and ask these questions to my father that I normally don't ask. Especially one of them was, are you going to be safe? And I've never ever asked that about my father. And uh, he said, yeah, I'll be fine. Don't worry, I'll, I'm gonna come home later tonight and there's no issue. And then I said, okay, but I didn't trust that. I didn't trust his words. I, I, I felt different. I felt like what he was saying to me wasn't what he meant. And then I, uh, what else was I supposed to do, right? Like I just, sat with the odd feeling and I just trusted his word. And I said, I love you. I'll see you later. Be safe. And then he left and then never came home. So like I'm tearing up about it now because although it's extremely sad and it's a moment in our life that we can never get back, it always feels like it happened yesterday, always. No matter how many times I share my story or speak at events, it's always the same. And when you had asked if I would have done anything differently, yeah, I struggled that with that for a very long time. I thought if I put my foot down, if I was kicking and screaming and gave into my gut feelings, or um, if I just said, you know, I don't believe you, um, would it have changed something? Maybe, but also I can't live with that guilt. I can't live with the what ifs. And I had to really did some introspective work to understand that it's not my fault or it's not anyone else's fault or I couldn't have changed or altered his path. And I had to really understand and um, know that what my father did was his choice. And it was solely his choice. It doesn't mean he loves us less. It doesn't mean anything. Um, he just chose that. And I had to really come from the experience of him in his shoes as opposed to the experience of him through me, if that makes sense, right? Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, everything 
now um, saddens me to the core, obviously. But I'm, I'm not beating myself up anymore of what I could have changed and what I could have done. I did yeah. look for a suicide note after mm -hmm. he passed when uh, we were informed that he died by suicide. I mm -hmm. was hoping there was something that was said left of him. I was rummaging through the closet. I was looking for in his pockets, in his, like in everything. And there wasn't. And I think that made me angry. That made me, um, like you think, okay, well, like in movies, they leave notes sometimes, like yeah, even just to explain it. Right. Yeah. But I had to let that go as well because, um, I had to understand that, maybe he just didn't want to write anything. Maybe it would have been a blank page, so to speak, because he wouldn't know what to, like, how, what do you say? Mm -hmm. Really? Like, what would you say if he wanted to take your life? Yeah. What would you say to people? Like, I, I couldn't even imagine doing that now. So, um, I'm okay with that too, as well because um, it opens up for me to have a conversation with him and, and whether you are spiritual or not. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm able to have a conversation with him, if that makes sense, um, and be able to just openly talk freely without an answer from him and know it's okay. Okay, and that's it for Dr. Rod's show for part one. And we'll be back in two weeks to find out some more important information and continue with our interview with Jamie Fabroa. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of Ars Longa Media. The producers for this show are Christopher Breitigan and Madison Linden. The executive producer is Dr. Patrick Beeman. This podcast is for educational purposes only and not intended for medical advice. Ars Longa, Vita Brevis. <laughs>